Blog Talk Radio. Gentlemen, welcome to episode two of Run the Point. Just like we did last week, we're going to talk about some of the hottest topics in sports. Just to reintroduce myself, I am Rob, and I'm calling out of North Jersey. So, Aaron, let's get this thing started. All right, what's up, everybody? It's Aaron checking in from out here in the Bay Area, holding it down for uh, NorCal Cali. So, this week's first topic, we want to talk about this whole Ron Rivera and Cam Newton not wearing a tie, benching him, all this crazy nonsense. Um, my whole take on it is I don't think it's for not wearing a tie. If you go back and look at everything, you know, all of Cam's crazy pregame outfits and stuff like that, you'll see he's not wearing a tie in a bunch of it, in a bunch of the outfits. So, it's not that it's something else. And uh, I think since they stayed out here on the West coast uh, since their last game and they played again out here and they just stayed and didn't make the trip back. I think it had something to do uh, during the week. And, uh, and, you know, I think the whole thing is just kind of crazy and it had something like this happened last year. I think it may have would have, you know, been the same outcome. I firmly believe that uh, kind of Ron Rivera uh, is a man of his word and says he treats everyone the same. So, you know, that's just my take. Well, I, I agree 100% with what you just said. Uh, it would have been a very, very, very interesting predicament if these were the 15-1 and Super Bowl-bound Carolina Panthers. You know, would, would this have been made a big deal? Would this have gone public? Would Ron Rivera have... Um, even penalize Cam at all. Um, I want to I want to take it to to a little bit of a different route and and consider Cam Newton and a his relationship with with his head coach Ron Rivera and and b Cam's uh, perceived relationship with with his teammates and and the Carolina Panthers organization in in general. I mean you you, you see this guy uh, after losses. Um, you, you you see his his post game press conferences. You, you see his his pessimism. You see his this is poor demeanor. Um, that, that begs the question: You know, what what kind of teammate is Cam Newton? Uh, you know, how how is Cam Newton perceived in the in the locker room? Is is he considered a, a leader? Um, was was this a message that Ron Rivera felt like he had to make because of these aforementioned uh, remarks that, that I just made? You know, I there's there's a lot to be said about um, not only players being treated fairly, but players being treated the, the same. Uh, you know, if, uh, if another player would have done this, would it have been a one-game suspension? Would it have been uh, been a, a hefty fine? You know, who's who's to say? But uh, I, I've I've always been critical of, of Cam Newton, not not his play. You know, once, once Cam Newton gets out there, I've, I've never questioned this this man giving 100% on the field. But I've I've often questioned 
about how he's perceived by his teammates, what type of teammate he is, and you know how how he you know how he brings uh, brings the spirits up after a loss. You know, how, how does he get how does he get the team ready for 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 a week after after they've uh, not only lost, but hey, they they did not play a pretty game this past weekend. Uh, what, what's what's your opinion on 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 Cam and and how he may be perceived in the locker room, Aaron, and how this may have you know played a role in this this uh, this benching, if you will. I think the locker room is Cam's. I think a lot of people kind of look at him and have always said, oh, he paying, you know, he hangs a towel over his head, all this other stuff. And, you know, I think that people take this leadership thing and is he a leader uh, a little too far. And I think just because, you know, he doesn't have the, the typical rah-rah, stand on the sidelines, motivating speech, ordeal, or he doesn't have, you know, or, or do the Tom Brady thing. I think the teammates and, and the people in the Panthers organization understand that Cam is who he is, and uh, there's nothing they can do to change that. And I think they understood that when they drafted him, they kind of knew his personality and what they were getting into. And so – yeah, I think they respond to it just fine. I think they respond to him. I think it is his locker room that is almost basically his team. They thrive off of, you know, him. He's the one that can lead them, and you saw it plenty of times last year. I think just a lot of this stuff, um, you know, got masked up. You you see it um, almost with like an Odell Beckham-esque uh you know, when Eli made those comments of coming out and saying, oh, you know, he could do without some of the antics, but, you know, at the same time, Odell is who he is, and, you know, that's his personality. And I think it goes back to kind of what I was saying last week of these players, you you try and make them robots, but it's like just let them be them. At the end of the day, they are a human being. And, uh, you know, I think Cam is who he is, and, I don't have an issue with the way he is perceived. And I don't think a lot of people within the NFL perceive him to be uh, a certain way. Good point. Good point. Um, uh, I agree. However, I, I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical of, of how, of how Cam is as a leader this season versus last season. And, and uh, separately, his whole towel over the head press conference and, uh, you know his his demeanor after a loss or even after a tough game. Uh, you know, for for all we know, it has nothing to do with with how Cam's perceived in the locker room. As you said, he it, it could easily be his locker room, and he could have the utmost respect of the other 52 guys on that team. And hey, he could just have a a, a beef with the media. He could <laughs> and this this guy could just be tired of hearing the same old questions uh, over and, and over and over again. Um, but yeah, it, it could be it could be an issue with people outside the organization and everything inside the. The Panthers locker room could be could be gravy. It could be hundred percent, hundred percent good. Um, yeah, and that's just you know it kind of I go back to the Marshawn Lynches and and all this stuff, and everyone's always saying, oh, you know, you know, where does Marshawn Lynch fit in, and all this other stuff. And to me, it's kind of like, you know, Marshawn Lynch was a leader in the in the Seattle locker room just because you know he didn't like talking to the media just because he was kind of you know, kept to himself and things like that, you know, doesn't make him a bad person, doesn't make him less of a leader, but I guarantee you in that locker room, uh, you know, if Marshawn 
cause a meeting or if Marshawn, you know, says something, you know, they're going to listen. He has their respect. And I think it's the same thing with Cam that, um, you know, everybody has different styles. Everybody's different. And I think Cam is just one of those people who's an emotional person to begin with. And uh, he just wears his emotions on his sleeve. So you can look at Cam and tell when the Panthers are losing and you can look at Cam and tell uh, when they're succeeding, you know, I've, I like those people rather than the uh, the Nick Sabans of the world who you can't tell if Bama is up 56 to nothing or losing 56 to nothing, you know? So, well, I'll tell you what, if you look at Jim Harbaugh, you know exactly what's going on every second of every game. <laughs> that man will let you know how he's feeling. And he he's not afraid to use inanimate, inanimate objects to show that. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, I really, I really don't think that that Cam woke up that day and said, "You know what? I'm I'm just gonna I'm gonna defy Ron Rivera. I'm just gonna break the rules and just say, you know, screw all this. I'm not gonna wear a tie." Uh, no, for all we know, he, he wanted to wear that that turtleneck, and the tie didn't go with the turtleneck, and that's really all there is to it. No, no big yeah. deal. No big deal at all. <laughs> I mean, this is Cam Newton, you know, who we're talking about here. If Cam Newton wanted to get a tie, Cam Newton could have got a tie, you know. Have oh, we been yeah. talking about? Apparently, people were were offering him ties, and he was just like, "Nah, I'm good, son." Yeah, yeah. So, so I, th- I think as a, as a Saints fan, I think that's about a, a, enough uh, Carolina Panthers talk that I can that I can handle for the moment. Let's uh, <laughs> let's go on to <laughs> let's go on to the, to our next topic. It's it's been reported that that Bryce Harper is demanding a four hundred million dollar contract over, I believe, ten years. <laughs> Not only is that a lot of money, that's 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 ridiculous. I'm sure he's one of the the best players in baseball, but four hundred million dollars. I wish I could see one millionth of that money. But but anyway, um, I, I kind of want to get, get into a discussion regarding contracts in Major League Baseball versus contracts in the National Football League and and the NBA. Uh, time and time again, we see these these huge amounts of, of money being being thrown at uh, these baseball players, in particular baseball players who are, are past their prime in their mid-30s. Um, I, I could reference uh, A-Rod's contract. Uh, there's, there's a plethora of others out there. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, no, baseball doesn't necessarily have a, have a salary cap. You know, there's you – know, there's, uh, there's a, a lot of different uh, stipulations in the NBA and NFL in which they do have um, salary caps and you know all all this guaranteed money and and, and this and that. Whereas baseball contracts, it's, it's more or less guaranteed. Uh, and you know one can argue that NFL players you know, put their bodies in the line way more than Major League Baseball players. And the same can be said about the NBA. So, Aaron, be, before I before I give uh, my two cents on this. Um, just, just what's what's your general general opinion on baseball contracts versus the NBA and, and NFL? Um, for me, it's you know, I think they're crazy. I think they're out ridiculous. You know, they're ridiculous. They're outrageous. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, hey, if they're going to pay me 400 million over 10 years, why the hell wouldn't I sign with them? Um, is kind of my take on it. And for the guys in the other leagues is you guys got player unions. You want bigger contracts. You want better contracts. Go to the players union. At the end of the day, the players hold the power. 
you know, what is the NFL, you know, what is the NFL going to do? You know, if, you know, if they, uh, you know, go into a holdout season, you know, what is the NBA going to do? We already seen the NBA go into a lockout. So, you know, the D league is obviously not an option to kind of bring in, you know, the replacements quote unquote. So for me, I think, you know, these players, if they want better money, better contracts, better structure, go to, you know, your players unions and, utilize them to get you more money um, because at the end of the day, you know, get that guaranteed, guaranteed contract. Cause it's, that's, you know, I think it's crazy that professional football players don't have guaranteed money. Um, and so, you know, they sign $40 million contracts for five years and 27 is guaranteed. Like, well, you know, it's a little yeah, yeah. crazy to me, but then you can be well, Kyrie Irving five year, 95 million. Hey, Hey man, but the but the the man went to Duke. Come on. Hey, that's right, Coach K. <laughs> get that money. Uh, so hey, uh, we're we're not discussing hockey at at the moment, but I I feel that hockey players should have a clause in their contracts where they get an automatic ten million dollars for every tooth they lose on the ice. But that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> now, so I I want to get into I want to get into um, so. It, it's it's been it's been perceived that um, for the most part uh, NFL owners uh, are, are are very greedy. Okay, uh, so we have we have the NFL and this this is huge um, American sports powerhouse. You know, we, we talked last week about some of the hypocrisy of the NFL, but it, you know, it's not not discussing that at the moment. It's it's well known how much uh, how much revenue the NFL brings in. I mean, you got games on Thursday, Sunday, Monday. You got the NFL Network. Uh, I, I could list se- several several other other examples, but how how is the NFL this this juggernaut this this conglomerate? And these these players, as you mentioned, Aaron, they're not getting these guaranteed contracts. And uh, the, the the shelf life of of an NFL player, you know, in particular, let's let's just say a running back. You know, I I don't have the I don't have the exact metrics, but you know, four, five, six, seven years. You know these. These, these guys are putting their bodies in the line. You know, th- there's a lot that's come out recently about uh, concussions and, and CTE. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm a physical therapist, so I'm you know I'm very much in tune with with the wear and tear on on the human body and how how it can impact things down the road, function and and things of that sort. Um, so I so I'm kind of I'm kind of branching off into this this uh, comment, going from your your whole. Remark about the the the, play, the players unions and, and and all that, and I agree with you 100. percent Like what what's what's going on here? You know what? Why aren't these NFL players getting the money that that they perceivably deserve, or at least getting money that's on par with with Major League Baseball? Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I I feel like I feel like many many more people, uh, you know, commit financially to to an NFL game. Uh, you know wh- whether that's for good reason or not, then a major league baseball game. Uh, so, what's what's your opinion on on, uh, on the the potential issue of NFL owners just hey just being plain old greedy? Um, you know, I don't. I wouldn't necessarily call them greedy. I would say you know they're business people, and so their overall care is. Um, you know, their profit, their bottom line. And, you know, 
the one thing that surprised me was, you know, after the Cavs won the uh, the NBA title last year, was seeing, you know, their owner, you know, in the hallway, you know, crying and, you know, doing all of this stuff. He brought the title back to Cleveland and, you know, ended the sports drought and that whole story. And, you know, I looked at that and could tell that, you know, for him it wasn't just a, uh, you know, another notch on his belt as a businessman, but – like he truly cared and had passion and you don't see that a lot in the NFL. Uh, you know, I can count, you can look at the Patriots and Robert Kraft, you know, he is, is uh, he's as much as I like him and as much as being a Pats fan, you know, I think Mr. Kraft, uh, you know, his, his overall care is his bottom line and uh, not necessarily how it is. And you can look at Jerry Jones, prime example, you know, Jerry's world. He cares about, you know, his name, his overall business, his bottom line, not, you know, whether or not the uh, the Cowboys are winning or, or losing. So, you know, yeah, they're losing. He's just going to be like, all right, cool. Hey, uh, you know, it's uh, you know, we're going to make some changes to the team, you know, figure it out, da-da-da-da-da, rather than, uh, you know, actually you know do anything to affect his bottom line because they're losing and he still built big ass jerry's world so <laughs> I, I i do i do think that that there there is a you know a, a sizable difference in um the, the the general commitment of of owners to the business side of things versus the the, the success of a team now it's it's gonna, it's gonna be very hard to kind of pinpoint and say okay you know this up to 75% of uh, NFL owners are all about the bottom line, and maybe you know a third of it is like that in the NBA, whatever the case may be. But um, I do agree that the NFL is much, much more of, of a business uh, for for many reasons than say the NBA and, and Major League Baseball, and perhaps you know, perhaps that has has a has a lot to do with it. But uh, I, I, as a fan, uh, would like to see at some point down the line that. NFL players at least get contracts that are guaranteed and at least somewhat on par with these ridiculous amounts that Major League Baseball players are getting. And Mr. Bryce Harper, if you're out there listening somewhere, good luck to you. I hope you get your $400 million and come to the Yankees. Hey, that's what I'm talking about, Bryce Harper. You out there, I know you're listening to the podcast because I know he listens to the podcast. Uh, Hey, get paid. Just you know, hey, shoot something my way. I gave you a shout out. Get your money. <laughs> All right, I, I think that's uh, that's enough baseball that uh, that I can handle for the time being. All right, hey, so um, you know, this week there's an article that uh that came out about Mr. Uh, Demarcus Cousins and uh, some of his comments about the youth and how he feels about being a role model. And, uh, you know, Cliff Notes' version of it is he's just pretty much saying, hey, uh, don't really care. They can go uh, screw themselves. And um, I guess that, to me, kind of, you know, builds up the topic of, you know, how do you feel about the, uh, you know, professional athletes and their perceived notion that they're role models to, you know, to the youth, to the younger generation, and uh, you know the role they play in their lives. Well, first of all, I think an important question is: Do professional athletes want to be role models? No, who knows? But 
I definitely feel like they're kind of thrust in, into into that role of being a role model, no, no pun intended. Uh, in, in this article, uh, Demarcus Cousins was talking to, to David Aldrich, and you know, he, he referenced the fact that he grew up in a in, in a rough area, um, and that you know that, that affects the question. Uh, of course, not all, but a majority of, of professional athletes um, can be broken down into three categories: either you know, a they, they grew up in in a, in a rough area, or, or b perhaps they didn't have the the strongest f- uh, family structure, or or c. They they had every single opportunity that one could ask for, uh, but because of that and because of their their talent, since since day one, since a young age, they were spoon fed. They were they were told told how great they are, uh, and everything was probably more or less served for them on a silver platter. So you know how how in touch with reality are are each of each of the members of of those three categories? Um, what do you, what do you think about that, Aaron? You know, for me, I look at, uh, you know, I look at this and I'm kind of like, um, I don't necessarily think, you know, they're, you know, they're role models. To me, um, I think the kind of categories you broke them down in fit, you know, most or the majority of the narrative of professional athletes. But at the same time, to me, um, you know, I kind of look at this as, you know, when people went off on little Wayne and, you know, his comments on, you know, the political issues that's going on and black lives matter and all this stuff. I'm kind of like, who the hell cares what little Wayne thinks, you know, why is, you know, why are you going to, or looking at little Wayne for, you know, answers to, you know, political things. And I kind of think the same thing of sports athletes, um, I more so think they play a role in, you know, changing the way the game is played, Um, you know, building a new aspect of it. So I think, you know, the Steph Curry's of the world of necessarily being a game changer, being able to have like in the gym range, uh, you know, is providing, improving another aspect and another, you know, developing the NBA and uh, you know, the Odell Beckhams, the the Antonio Browns are changing the narrative, the stereotypes, the Cam Newtons of, you know, the typical pocket passers, you know, the Odell's and Antonio Browns of, you know, your big six six, you know, two hundred and you know, thirty pound wide outs and now you got a little bit shorter guys who can still go on the outside. Uh, and not necessarily be your slot receivers, so to speak. So I think from that aspect of changing the way the games are played and uh, shaping up the way the leagues are built are different. But, you know, am I looking at these guys to, uh, you know, to see what I'm going to care about today and see what I should, uh, you know, the narrative should be of how I should feel about certain topics? You know, not necessarily what I'm looking for, or not necessarily what I think about. So, you know, in that aspect of it, you know, I don't necessarily think so. I, I agree with the majority of, of what you just said. Um, no, it, it may be because professional athlete, first of all, you mentioned Lil Wayne, and uh, um, I, I, I don't want to get into a discussion about Lil Wayne and his life decisions at the moment. But anyway, uh, professional athletes, that they have huge notoriety, not to throw these on TV. You know, you see their, their jerseys and their, their merchandise everywhere. Uh, hey, it's, it's 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 a lot of lot of lot of dreams of little little children or young children to grow up and 
be big league baseball players, grow up and be the, the quarterback for the uh, New England Patriots, you know, follow Tom Brady's footsteps, if you will. Um, so uh, I, I do think that it's, it's, it's just a matter of, of kids and, and youth in general you know, being exposed to sports at a young age. You know, you've got peewee football, you've got t-ball, you've got um, youth basketball, AAU basketball, and that, the, the list goes on. So, uh, and it's, it, you know, as a society, uh, for the most part, um, no, we try, we try to get kids to, to be active. We try and promote kids to be healthy and to be into fitness and, you know, ultimately sports. Um, and once, once they get into to fitness and sports, you know, who, who's, who's there for them to, to, to look up to? It's, it's the professional athletes. And, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not something that's, that, that's fair because athletes don't necessarily have, have a choice. Um, that they're in the position that they're in to, to play the sport that they're playing. That's their that's their career, their job, their profession. And you know, when when someone signs an NFL contract, there isn't a box you can check yes or no. Would you like to be a role model for you know, 10 million kids in the United States of America and, and worldwide? So it, it's it's uh, it, it's something that it's just it is what it is, and it's, it's, probably, it's probably never going to change. But um, you, know, you have um, I'm trying to think of. Uh, some players who have some uh, some questionable on the field or on the court antics. Uh, you know, if, if you're sitting there at, a, at an NBA game and you're, you're watching uh, DeMarcus Cousins, and the, you know the way he responds to a foul being called on him, or or you know watch watch him perhaps get into a, a fight with another player, or hey, even even a referee. You know, how much is that going to impact um, how how a, how a young kid or how the youth in general? thinks well, how it's uh, you know how, how they should act in certain situations. So uh, uh, a bigger question is when when you have the when you have professional athletes who, who do the right things and they're, they're model citizens, great. But when you have professional athletes who are getting into trouble and you know doing things that are uh, not not uh, not something that that kids should look up to, you really can't really can't control what a kid's gonna gonna take from it because loses everywhere. Internet's everywhere. ESPN's everywhere. So, uh, uh, unfortunately, a lot of kids probably probably pay attention more to what professional athletes are doing than to what their own parents and family are doing. Uh, do you have an opinion on on how professional athletes and, and their, their antics, their, their negative antics, may impact how how the youth thinks that it's uh, it's okay to behave in society? You know. I do, but you know, I guess for me, I kind of grew up in a different household than that. So for me, you know, I looked at these people, you know, as role models, but not as role models of how I should conduct myself. Like, you know, growing up playing sports, you know, I wanted to be like the Michael Jordans. I wanted to be the, you know, the David Justices of the world. I wanted to, you know, do all of this, but. I necessarily, like I said, I never looked at them to see, okay, you know, oh, they're dressing this sort of way. Maybe I should do this. You know, oh, Allen Iverson's got the cool cornrows. Let me get it. I mean, and sad to say that's kind of, um, you know, the society, the way it is of the world. But for me, it's kind of like I think it falls back on us as individuals. And, you know, if you have kids, you as a parent to kind of be involved uh, and you know, talk to your kids and sit down and have these conversations and, you know, be that 
active role model in their life and say, hey, you know, when it comes to this topic, you know, it's okay for you to look up to this, but, you know, just because this person is able to do it, you don't have that same opportunity. You don't have that same, you know, get out of jail free card that they have, you know, um, and it's, it's the same kind of way that I just look at it as, you know, be involved, take the time to, you know, be that active role model, that active person and not necessarily try and, uh, you know, model my whole life after the way, you know, Steph Curry does or whatever, or, you know, LeBron or whoever you want to be, you know, the kids are looking up to these days as far as, you know, those aspects of it. But, you know, at the same time, I do see everybody walking around with the bleached hair thinking they're Odell Beckham. So, hey, you know. <laughs> so, so that, that actually uh, segues my, my next point. Um, that bleached hair, Odell Beckham, I immediately thought of bleached hair, Eminem. Um, so first and foremost, kudos to you, my friend, for making a David Justice reference. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, but but uh, anyway, so you had mentioned little Lil Wayne earlier, and um, sports and music are very often paralleled. And you no, know, the, there there is some some controversy. Uh, I use controversy at the moment for lack of a better word. There's some some controversy about you know lyrics in, in, in music and how young people perceive lyrics in music and how they might want to relate that to living a certain lifestyle. Um, so it's it's interesting to me about how uh, young people listen listen to music and they think oh you know a, a, a musical artist is dressing this way acting this way you know, he's talking about certain people this way. Uh, He's, 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 do, he's doing this with his life, and like, those are obviously much more extreme examples than professional athletes for the most part. But maybe not necessarily. I mean, you have you have reports of professional athletes doing a lot of things that musicians do that they shouldn't be doing, or or saying things that they shouldn't be saying that perhaps we hear in music. Any uh, quick thoughts on on the parallels between being uh, music and sports in, in this in this topic in this regard? Yeah, I mean, and it was funny because you say that, and that was the same thing I was thinking of was, you know, how everybody, you know, goes crazy over, you know, Justin Bieber, he he did this, or, uh, you know, just, I think last week, um, the country music star, uh, oh man, I can't think of his name, um, the big guy, he's, I don't know, one of the country music stars, like, punched a fan and stuff like that, and it's kind of like, you know, who cares? <laughs> I mean, I guess for me, it's, you know, I don't get caught up in the hoopla of, you know, what this famous person did or uh, didn't do. And um, I, you know, I think a lot of this stuff gets, gets over uh, ridiculous for me to think that, you know, who cares of what's going on. And, you know, whenever I get to that point in time and I have, you know, kids, I'm not going to allow them to have the, uh, you know, that thought or the ability to, you know, they look up to this person. It's like, Hey, if you want to choose a career in this field, then, you know, that's fine. You know, no, you know, I would never tell my child if, you know, you want to create your own worth and become an entrepreneur, you know, you look up to the Steve jobs, to the Mark Zuckerberg's and, um, you know, the alien Musk and stuff like that, where, you know, these guys, are 
world, you know, you know, changing the world. So have that mentality, but don't necessarily think that, uh, you know, you should act or, you know, portray, you know, some of their actual person personality traits, but, you know, take them on and, you know, model them as a business, but not necessarily how you should conduct yourself on a day to day as a person, you know, maybe for that, you want to look to, you know, somebody who's more realistic, who kind of has the same background, who comes from the same type of, uh, you know, home and, supports the same things that you were raised to support. Good, good. <laughs> very, very eloquently said. Uh, quick tidbit on that. Uh, I made a lot of comments about uh, you know, parenting and, and, and family and whatnot, and while I agree wholeheartedly, uh, uh, unfortunately there there are uh, many, 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 many of the youth who, who don't have uh, – the opportunities that they should, and whether professional athletes like it or not, whether they want to be or not want to be, they they are they are role models. So here's the message to professional athletes: just be good, just behave, just, just do what you're supposed to do. Stop getting in trouble. The end. <laughs> All right, that's enough talk about that. I, that was that was actually a pretty pretty deep discussion. You know, I was. I definitely wasn't uh, wasn't expecting to 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 have a heart to heart with you, Aaron. But you know, sometimes <laughs> sometimes it's got to be done. <laughs> so all all the listeners out there, you know, well, Aaron and I are going to talk about sports consistently. So we're, we're not going to shy away from from you know be, being uh, being sensitive from from time to time. So you know, if you got a problem with that, then you know, you just, maybe maybe it's just not you. Yeah, hey, just fast forward through that segment. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of, of being sensitive and perhaps emotional, uh, I, I of course live up here in North Jersey. I, I live, you know, less less than ten miles from MetLife Stadium. I'm in constant contact with hardcore Giants fans, Jets fans, but. This next point I'm going to make has nothing to do with the New York football Giants. This has to do with the Monday night football game at MetLife Stadium in which the Jets hosted the Colts. And I was personally told by numerous people that they were able to get tickets for less than $10, so some as low as 5 $6. Now, this is a prime-time National Football League game in the in the, the last quarter of the season, well, I'm sorry, it was, it's, there were uh, five games left, including this game. So just just about to be the last quarter of the NFL season, prime time NFL game. And and Aaron, we've discussed about we've discussed many many topics regarding the NFL, but in particular, you know, uh, the NFL and 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 its uh, uh, its its uh, attempt to be uh, to be a powerhouse in, in professional sports, or not even professional sports, but in, in entertainment. So anyway, back to what I was saying. Is this primetime NFL game in the New York City metropolitan area, and you're telling me people were able to get seats for five dollars? Aaron, what what what's wrong with that? You know, here's my thing: is it was a crappy game. The Jets are terrible this year. Um, you know, the Colts. They're the Colts, you know, you can't really tell who they are or what they want to be. And so to me, does it surprise me that that game was five bucks? No, 
because um, that's probably about the amount of money that I, uh, you know, I would have paid to go see the game because it's, you know, I'm pretty sure a beer in the stadium costs more than, um, uh, you know, the ticket itself. So when you have, you know, a crappy product and stuff like that, you gotta, you gotta get the people to come and, you know, the jets have just been terrible. They've been terrible for, you know, a long time. They had a, a solid, you know, run, but, you know, they know in New York, you got to put a, you know, you got to put a, a decent product together. Cause you know, when the Knicks were struggling, you know, the garden wasn't selling out. It was still the garden, but you know, <laughs> nobody was in there other than spike. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> You know, but, the but, New York. I mean, I, it's, I it's too much stuff to, that's going on in New York. I mean, and that's yeah. that to me is, uh, you know, how do I think that game been played in Indianapolis? Um, same time, just different location. Probably would have got a better turnout. But in New York, I mean, you're competing against the Knicks. You're competing against the Rangers. Uh, you know, you're competing against Hamilton. <laughs> Broadway shows are probably <laughs> yeah. selling out, giving more. You know paying more than a freaking, you know, three and nine, three and 10 or whatever their record is football team right now. Well, Hey, you're also competing against, against street vendors and people dressed up in costumes in, in Times Square. I mean, I, I, I've heard plenty of stories. I've never done it myself, but I've heard plenty of stories to where um, somebody walks to Times Square and there's somebody dressed up as Spider-Man and they're charging 10 bucks just to take a picture with, with somebody dressed as Spider-Man. So oh, yeah. people are perceiving people are perceiving that to be more valuable than a primetime NFL game in in, in uh, you know New York City metro area. Uh, it's 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 incredible. And as as far as uh, the comments you made about the, the New York Knicks and uh, you know when they when they were really really struggling, how perhaps perhaps the Garden wasn't selling out. But I I can I can say with uh, probably ninety percent confidence that even though the Garden wasn't selling out. Those were still valuable tickets. I mean, I, I I would find it hard to believe that people would be paying, uh, you know, dirt cheap prices for New York Knicks tickets at the Garden, regardless of how good or bad they were doing. But there's there's obviously much 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 more allure to Madison Square Garden than there is to MetLife Stadium. I've heard a lot well, of criticism. Go ahead. Well, I think too, you know, I would. I would say they're probably about the same, but it depended on who they were playing. Um, Had, you know, when they were bad and then the Charlotte Hornets were bad and both of those games, you know, they were in Madison square garden. I'm sure you could get those tickets for dirt cheap. So, um, you know, and I I think that's what really played into this game and, and kind of the segue into, you know, another topic kind of on the same thing. It's what's, why you know the NFL ratings and stuff are kind of going down it's not necessarily that people don't care they're tired of the NFL it's too much um but it's when you put a Thursday night game on that includes the Cleveland Browns like who do you expect to watch what do you expect the Browns versus Titans it doesn't matter what day of the week you play it on it doesn't matter what whatever the game's just going to be your lowest rated game so you know and I think an issue, you know, with the Thursday night, everybody's complaining. I think what the NFL should do for Thursday night is schedule it for teams that are coming off of their bye week. Um, So you play, you know, a Sunday game, go into the bye week, and then the following week you come off your bye, you play Thursday, and then you still get another week, you know, a full week of rest 
because you won't play again until, you know, that following Sunday. And I think that solves your Thursday night, you know, problem. And the same thing with Monday night football, you know, as well as, you know, schedule them so the teams aren't getting screwed and they're not getting, you know, three days rest or four days rest or, you know, they're getting the proper time they need to put it on. And then when you're putting these schedules together, you know, they have the little, you know, the flexing schedules of you should really kind of can, you know, conceive. I'm pretty sure at the beginning of the year, they thought that game was going to be, you know, late in the season playoff implications on the line when it's kind of like, no, both teams just really buying for draft picks right now. Um, And why on God earth would they ever put the Titans and Browns on, you know, any kind of primetime TV, regardless if they're both, you know, halfway decent and winning games still baffles me because they probably have some of the, uh, the smaller fan bases and markets that are out there in the NFL. So, you know, I think, I think that has more to do with it, with, uh, you know, the teams and matchups and I'll be interested to see, and I guarantee you that there'll be a huge boost this week with uh, Raiders chiefs on Thursday night, um, you know, Sunday night giants, Cowboys and, Monday night football, the Pats and Ravens, and I guarantee you the ratings are going to be up. Why? Because people want to see those games. People want to see those teams. And, uh, you know, their fan bases will tune in no matter where they are rather than, you know, how many Titans fans do you know that live outside of Tennessee? Yes, yes. Um, three, three, three more things that I, that I want to add. Uh, one, one being, this is a rhetorical question, shouldn't every team – be uh, awarded the privilege of having a primetime game? Uh, you know, should should NFL teams be penalized in the sense that the NFL is going to say, okay, you, you've had a recent stretch of, of poor seasons, so we are not going to put you on Thursday night, Sunday night, or Monday night. Uh, second point, uh, as far as, you know, just going back to our discussion regarding the Knicks in the Garden versus, you know, let's obviously say the Jets at MetLife Stadium. Hey, the, the Knicks have 41 home games. So let's just go ahead and assume that, that these Knickerbockers do not make the playoffs. So the regular season is over. 41 home games, okay? NFL, you've got eight home games. So fans have eight chances out of an entire year to watch their team play. And that, to me, is what makes – this poor attendance and and low ticket sale even more more baffling, especially if you're going to compare the NFL to the NBA. And third point that I want to make is, one could argue that NFL stadiums are much much more corporate than the NBA and the MLB. Now, I've I've heard a lot of local people complain about how when um, Giant Stadium was over and done with and MetLife Stadium was developed, it became very very corporate and you know. Season ticket holders uh, likely became you know, displeased with with that. Uh, so just just a few more points that I wanted to make regarding regarding uh, that topic. Uh, any 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 uh, anything to add to those? I mean, to me, it's kind of like um, yeah, they're more corporate because you know they got to have you know the money to do it. Um, but at the same time, you know, and I think that uh, with these seasons being longer. Um, you can get away with, uh, you know, the M- the NBA, they can kind of get away with, I guess, you know, 
not necessarily selling out as much only because, you know, they, like you said, they have more home games, they have more, their seasons longer. So they have the ability to uh, necessarily have ticket prices at a certain price because, you know, they have more opportunities to sell out, they have more opportunities to sell things rather than the, uh, the NFL, you got eight, you know, eight home games, barring you don't make the playoffs or anything, or, you know, even if you get a home game during the playoffs to make money. So they got to, you know, sell out a little bit more because, you know, they got to be able to foot the bill to build that stadium, uh, you know. So I think that's, that has something to do with it from that standpoint of why, you know, they say they feel they sold out a little bit more. But, you know, at the end of the day, like I said, to me, it's just one of those things of, it's you got to the NFL has to really do something about scheduling and the teams and the things that they put out only just because it's, you know, like I said, they shouldn't necessarily penalize the team, but you know, they should also say, Hey, you got to be competitive, you know, like the Browns. I mean, you can, I think on StubHub Browns tickets right now are like 20 bucks for, you know, the rest of their games for the Cincinnati game. Um, and it was kind of like, even if I was in Cleveland, why would I spend $20 to go deal with that? Like, I'll take that and go sit in a bar and, you know, be able to have all the games on and check my fantasy and do all of these things rather than go sit out in the freezing cold in Cleveland to watch the Browns struggle and, you know, maybe RG3 throw a touchdown or something. But, you know, to me, it's it should be incentive. It goes back to that money-making aspect as well. So it's like, Hey, you want to make that Thursday night football money? You want to make that Monday night football money? You want to make that Sunday night football money? Get your team competitive. Here's some incentive. You don't have to necessarily, you know, be on a Super Bowl run, but you know, at the same time, be competitive, be in contention and, you know, you can get these prime time slots, but it's the same thing with, you know, what the NFL does is, oh, this is the hot team, so we're going to flex this game out and put this game in. So, you know, to me it's just there should never be two terrible teams um, both playing in prime time. So, you know, maybe you can put the Browns versus Cowboys on there just because Cowboys fans are going to tune in. Um, but <laughs> so you'll still make some decent money. But I just, you know, Titans, Browns, like why on earth would that game ever be in a prime time slot? Like just baffles me. Yeah, uh, uh, good point. Uh, uh, I, I, I definitely would want to know what the incentive is for these primetime games. Prime I mean, Robert, the incentive just isn't enough for, for owners. Uh, we, we discussed earlier about owners and you know, how in the NFL they seem to be all about business and, and the bottom line. Uh, but you mentioned flexing out games, and I want to make a quick remark. I am very upset that the Saints-Buccaneers game was flexed to, to, I think it's 4.25 p.m., because I was going to go to Tampa to that game, and I was going to go. It was going to be a 1 o'clock game. After the game, I was going to fly back home, show up to work with a smile on my face Monday morning. But because the game was flexed, I can't go. I can't get a flight back home later that night. So, yeah. I, I, hey, hey. <laughs> And I don't understand why this game was flexed. And I'll say it again, and I'll probably say it a thousand times throughout the course of, of Run the Points uh, shows. I'm as big of a Saints fan as they come. So you're looking at a 4-6 and six Saints 
team versus a, a Buccaneers team who sure is in contention for the NFC South at the moment, but they're going to make that the NFL's game of the week. They're going to make that the team that the whole country is going to see with four games remaining in the season. That's a bit questionable to me. Uh, uh, I, I also want to want to make a comment about uh, Cleveland being a, a small market or small fan base or perhaps perhaps fans, uh, you know, not wanting to to pay the money to go watch their team play. Hey man, if if you if you if you're a fan, if you're if you're a diehard fan, you're gonna do you're gonna do what it takes to go watch your team play. I I've seen the Saints play this season three times in three different cities, and if it wasn't for this Tampa game being flexed, I would have made it four times in four different cities. But anyway, I, I digress. I, I had I had to I had to throw that in for a minute. But you know, I I am all about supporting your team when your team has not won a game and has not looked competitive and has not come close to winning a game. I am not going outside and sitting out there freezing to see them struggle. Like it's it's a repetitive thing year after year. And for me, I Browns fans, they're the only people who can, you know, be the quote unquote jump on the bandwagon or join another team. Because uh, what that organization from the owners to the head of football operations, they just they don't care. They have this, you know, screwed up rhetoric of we're just going to keep tanking and getting number one draft picks and, you know, all this stuff in building by losing, you know, is the dumbest idea I've ever heard of, which is why the 76ers are struggling because they've taken on the same concept. Um, so for me, it's, you know, don't, Hey, you can be a proud fan, but at the same time, why waste your 20 bucks, go spend it at the bar, support your local organizations, uh, and help boost the economy that way. Um, and then one thing, too, I wanted to talk about was with the fan bases is they do it with the fan bases when they take the teams out of the country and play these international games. You know, there's a reason why the Raiders are keep going back to Mexico City to play games is because they have a large following there. So why, you know, you do it then when you do your international team or, you know, the teams that they take – over uh, to London and stuff. They have a big following there. Their fan base kind of travels. Um, they have a better fan base that actually will tune in to watch those games at, you know, the early hours on the East Coast and um, out here on the West Coast. So why not do the same thing for, you know, primetime TV? You know, have some sort of incentive that your team at least has to be 500 or better or, you know, been in playoff contention, you know, in December of the following year in order to be on um, one of these primetime slots because that's the only way people are going to tune in. You know, nobody wants to watch the watered-down product, and you see it with the NBA all the time. You know, now that the Warriors are hot, the Cavs are hot, all of their games are on TV. You know, how many times do you tune on TV to watch the Minnesota Timberwolves play outside of Minnesota? Unless they're playing one of the two teams I just mentioned, you're not. You know, check out you know the you know the NBA Saturday lineup this year, and I guarantee you, you won't see you know the Timberwolves, you won't see the Phoenix Suns, and these teams on that prime time Saturday night slot again this year, um, unless they're playing the Cavs or the Warriors. You know, outside of that, because their fan base isn't that prevalent and their team just sucks. So, 
you know, and even if they are playing the Cavs or Warriors, nobody's going to tune in because we already know the outcome of the game. Um, well, you know, so that's it, just kind of it, my it, two cents on that. Yeah, well, that that, that kind of that begs the question to where, you know, so so sure the NBA is only putting, but for the most part, it's only putting quality teams in prime time TV slots. Um, I. Hey, I, I think the NFL is, is arrogant in this regard. I think the NFL goes out there and says, you know what? We can put any team out there because we're the big, bad NFL. People will watch. And we're, we're learning. We're learning the harsh reality that, that it's not the case. No. And that's what it is. And I think that's their mentality is, is that, oh, people will watch, you know, football when it's on. It's, you know, some of these Thursday night games, in, you know, I will be honest with you. I will check this guy. Oh, who's playing? Uh, okay, so I go through, do I care about any of these games? No. Uh, do I have any fantasy players on the any of these teams? Uh, no. All right, cool. I will check it out, and then once the game gets bad, I'm turning it off, um, and I'll watch Netflix, or I'll go do something else. But, you know, they got to get out of this mentality of, oh, we're the NFL, and whatever we put forth, people are going to buy when it's not. And, uh, you know, I think they're starting to see that with – you know, other things out there for people to do and, you know, the rise of Netflix and the rise of these other things that, um, you know, they got to find a way to improve their brand. And um, I think a lot of it too goes back to what we talked about with, you know, a lot of the hypocrisy and, you know, them trying to sit here and say, oh, you know, they can't do this and they can't do that and making, you know, taking all the personality out of the game. So it's like, now you give me these two bad teams that are going to have to act like robots and, you know, nobody's going to want to watch, but even when the Bengals were sucking, but they had, uh, you know, Ocho Cinco out there and Terrell Owens, it was like, that's kind of must see TV because what crazy uh, touchdown dance are they going to do this week to get fine? You know, but you know, that's just my thoughts on that. And uh, I want I want to add one more thing before uh, we should get into um, current NFL playoff uh, seedings and the college the impending college football playoffs. Uh, you're <laughs> you're mentioning the, the Cleveland Browns and they don't want to sit out there in the frigid cold weather uh, to to watch your team probably perform poorly and. I couldn't get the image out of my head. I hope you saw this commercial, Aaron. Couldn't get this image out of my head of that Bud Light commercial with the teams in the can, and you have the and, and one of the, one of the clips from that commercial is uh, a Buffalo Bills fan, and he's out there with his gloves on. Um, it's obviously very cold. He can't open his beer can. He finally takes the glove off, opens his beer can, and the beer spills all over his hand. That's dedication <laughs> right there. Did you, yeah. did you see that commercial? I did. Okay. <laughs> So, let's play there. Take us into into uh, to the home stretch. NFL and college football current seedings rankings. Let's debate that a bit. Okay. Uh, so, what we want to do right now is just kind of give a quick recap of what's going down. Uh, so, as of right now, in the AFC, the Raiders are in that first spot, the number one seed. Patriots are right behind them with the second seed. Um, the uh, the third seed belongs to the Ravens. You got the Texans coming in at four, and then the Chiefs and Broncos locking up the uh, the wild cards. And in the AFC, the Dolphins, Steelers, Colts, Bills, Titans, Chargers, and Bengals are all 
still in the hunt, um, but have a lot of work to do and some, some hopes and prayers as well. Now to the NFC, those Cowboys have clinched the, the playoff spot so far for the number one seed and the, the home field advantage throughout the NFC. Uh, the Seahawks are in at second. The Bucks uh, and the Giants have the wild card out in the NFC. And the Lions and Falcons are sitting in at three and four. Uh, and the NFC, the Redskins, Vikings, Packers, Cardinals, those Wiley Saints, Eagles, the Panthers of all teams, Rams and Bears, all are still mathematically in the race but have a lot of work to do. And I uh, got to hope and pray for what's going on. Um, and so kind of my whole take on this is uh, I'm kind of going to stick by a little bit of what I said. I still think, you know, even though the Falcons, they lost um, this past week, I still think they got a, they got a solid shot of holding on over the Bucks, And, uh, you know, these, those two teams are going to face each other and that game is going to have uh, some, some playoff implications. So I think uh, it's going to be a good game. The Bucks are, they got my boy, famous Jameis. They're getting hot right now, and um, you know that's a that's a that's a scary team um, to look out for. But overall, I think they might just end up a a little bit short, and uh, you know they might sneak into that wild card round. But I don't think they're a, a legitimate threat. Um, out of the AFC, you know the Chiefs and Broncos. I only think one of those teams survive, and um, to be honest with you, I think it's Kansas City. Um, the Broncos, their patchwork that they're trying to do with that offense is just starting to show up and bite them. You know, they've played two teams that have solid defenses and have shown chinks in the armor. And that uh, even that defense has shown a little bit of, of, of chinks in the armor as well. So um, they're not, you know, they're still, you know, probably I would put them – at number two in the NFL right now. Uh, but, you know, you never can count out Vaughn Miller, who's a game changer with, uh, you know, Aqib Talib back and Chris Harris in that secondary. They definitely uh, can lock down anybody. But uh, I just think that lack of offense is going gonna, is gonna to screw them over. Last year, you know, you got Peyton Manning. He can make up for a lot of that. But, uh no Peyton Manning this year, so you can't hide uh, a lot of that uh, that in, inability they have at quarterback to move the football effectively. Uh, I agree. I agree. Um, <clears throat> regarding the the final final picks, if you will, I'm 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 standing by standing by everything that I said. Uh, you had mentioned that out of the AFC, you don't see the Chiefs and Broncos both making it. I agree. So I'm gonna I'm gonna supplant the Broncos with those Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, I think they're gonna get that sixth seed in the AFC, um, and all all the picks I made last week stand in the AFC. As far as the NFC goes, really the only change is the Buccaneers are now a wild card team ahead of the Washington Redskins. Um, I I don't see the Washington Redskins making the playoffs, and there's there's a lot. Forget the uh, forget the wild card. There, there's a lot of play left in the NFC South. Um, I, I'll, I'll reference the New Orleans Saints if I know their schedule like the back of my hand. 
Um, three of the next four games are against the Buccaneers, two twice against the Buccaneers and, and the Falcons. And the fourth game is against the Arizona Cardinals. So, so there, there's there's a lot a lot that can change in the NFC South, and you know, perhaps a, another team can squeak into that sixth seed. And I, I'm not I'm not changing the thing. I'm if, if these if these Saints can possibly win out, they'll get that number six seed. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, yeah, there's there's a there's a this NFC South door is, is, is far from far from shut. Yeah, and I completely agree. I think Denver. I would have to replace them with uh, the Steelers. You know, I think the Dolphins. They are who we think they are, <laughs> and um, you know, I, I don't foresee them being able to sneak in. They might, but um, you know, they're just too much of a liability on both sides of the ball. Tannehill is just uh, not someone who I would trust at all and put any faith in. Um, I would not bet any money on him unless he's going up against Tim Tebow and, you know, Tim Tebow's touchdown Jesus. So I would still put my money on Tebow. Um, but uh, I think, you know, the, NFC, the one thing I'm still out for is the Seahawks. Um, with, with the injury to El, Earl Thomas, um, you know, I'm kind of, wondering what they're going to look like on the back end uh, now because he was a major part of that. So, you know, if their their backup can come in and still be about halfway as decent as he was, they'll be okay. But, uh, you know, now that uh, you only got Cam back there playing deep, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's a little bit more trickier for them. Because I don't think Sherman's a a great one-on-one guy. I think Sherman's a great cover corner, but uh, as far as a lockdown one-on-one, mm, you know, there are a couple no, that I, are better. I'd, I'd be, <laughs> I'd be very, I'd be very, I agree. I'd be very interested to to know what the Seattle Seahawks record is when these four players are all healthy: Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor, Earl Thomas, and Bobby Wagner. Uh, so let's let's take the last last four seasons. I'd be willing to bet they haven't lost more than more than three games when all four of those guys are playing. It's it's, it's an incredible difference when one of those four guys is out. And and Cam yeah. Cam was hurt uh, a little bit earlier this year, and the Seahawks struggled. That they they had a loss to to my New Orleans Saints. Uh, but man, you lose you lose one of the Legion of Boom, and that that that's a whole different team. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I just think you know, there's still a lot of football left to be played. I don't think we'll see too much stagger, maybe one or two of these teams. I'm, you know, I think the divisions outside of maybe that AFC South and uh, NFC South are kind of locked up. But, you know, I, I think the rest are all pretty much said and done. Um, I still think, too, my Patriots are going to lock up the number one seat only because their uh, their schedules basically you got Denver um, in two weeks. So uh, outside of that game, they're pretty much all games that uh, we can win. And the Raiders got two tough ones, uh, divisional games left. So I think we got the uh, the ability left to to finish strong and even without Grant move forward. So. I think we'll we'll take the one seed and then the Raiders will take the uh, the two seed. So, or you am never I know. Am I reading this correctly, Aaron? 
am I reading this correctly that the Chicago Bears have yet to be mathematically eliminated from playoff contention? Yes, the Chicago Bears are still mathematically alive in in the playoffs. So are the Panthers, surprisingly. The Panthers are still mathematically alive. Oh, my goodness. What it is to be an NFC team in today's NFL. So uh, switching gears and keeping the playoff football alive, let's switch over to college football. And, uh, you know, the the committee, which I believe, uh, I think they got it right. You know, um, I think they got the first, you know, the first teams, the first, the top four teams. I'm sorry. Oh, man. Uh, the top four teams, right? And I I have no gripes with it. I think a one-loss uh, Washington, you know, you got a conference champion over, you know, a two-loss Michigan that uh, didn't get in in their conference title. So, uh, I think had that Washington game played out a little bit different, would have been a little bit closer. Uh, Michigan would have had a better shot, but since they won convincingly in that Pac-12 title game, uh, I think there is no way that they were getting left out. I I agree. However, I I think that if there was any chance, any chance that referee didn't make a mistake in that spot of the ball in that Michigan-Ohio State game. Michigan would be one of the top four teams, and the team that would be on the outside looking in would be those Washington Huskies. It's it's really a shame that Michigan does not have a seat at the table because of a poor spot. And the committee had to have taken that into strong consideration. I mean, was was that was that was that the difference? I mean was was the committee sitting there and saying that okay, Michigan lost to Ohio State by that account and for that reason and for that reason only they are not one of the top four teams. Probably. Who knows? But there's there's gotta be there's gotta be more it's gotta be more or human perception with the committee. It, it, it can't. It can't just be all about who beat who and what was strength of schedule and X's and O's and and Y Z's, A B C's. I, I I really think that sometimes you have to you have to look at things and say, regardless of of what happened. Now, now of course, we're assuming teams are 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 in the hunt and they're good and, and, and they've beaten a lot of quality teams. I'm not saying that, you know, some, some random team had a couple of bad breaks, so they should be in the conversation. No, no, no. Uh, but you got to be able to, to say to yourself, this is what I saw on the field. I don't, I don't necessarily care about one small outcome of a game against another team in the top four. You got to be able to look and say, in me watching Michigan football throughout the entire season, they're a quality team, quality enough that they should be one of the top four college football teams in in the country. And that, that, that I've I've always had an issue with with uh, the method that the committee um, is perceived to, to 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 make this decision. Uh, you know, some, sometimes you just gotta 
You just gotta go, go by the gut. And you, you, you think you think Michigan got shafted there? So I don't think Michigan got shafted, um, but I think the committee has made it clear that they will put in the four best teams. Uh, conference titles don't necessarily matter. Um, obviously, we see that uh, the last couple of years, but. I think they put in the four best teams. Do I think Michigan would have matched up better against Bama? Uh, if we use that rhetoric to say, okay, um, you know, who has a better shot to beat Bama, Michigan or Washington? My vote would be Michigan. Um, just you got Harbaugh, so I would never count out an a NFL coach, you know, who's been, you know, who's great NFL coach, um, and had a team in the Super Bowl, you know, with the chance to win it. So for me, I would, you know, give him the the push over Washington. But at the end of the day, uh, I also look at that game too and say, okay, Michigan had numerous chances to put that game away and they didn't. Um, so you can't, while that final spot had a big outcome on the game, um, but there are still other opportunities to not even allow uh, the game to come down to go into overtime and to, you know, have that spot come into effect. Uh, it's kind of how I look at it. And I think that's maybe what the committee, you know, they thought of as well when it came to Michigan was that, Hey, you know, they had that game one, they played a solid three quarters of football um, better than Ohio state. And then, you know, they lost it in that last quarter and two overtimes. So Ohio state just played better than them. And um, had they went up, I think had they went up by those, uh, I think it was like 10 points or or two touchdowns or something late in that game, I think it would have been over. Um, I just couldn't see that way that game was going, Ohio State coming back. So had Michigan had a chance to put it away, they would have been fine. Sure, sure. Now, let's, let's use Alabama as the gold, gold standard. Does Clemson have a chance to be Alabama? I can no. see that happening. I can I can see that. I can no. see that happening. Nope. <laughs> no. All right. So 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 I'm just I'm just gonna fast forward to the ultimate point that I was trying to make. That so so I don't just get no to death over here. Of, of the <laughs> of the three of the three remaining teams other than Alabama, uh, I I think I think that I would say Washington has the least chance to beat Alabama, and I think that Michigan would have a better chance of beating Alabama. In comparison to Washington, so that, that, that's that's where I'm coming from, at least. No, and I completely agree. Um, you know, I think Michigan would have would have been a better matchup and a little bit tougher matchup for uh, for the tide. You know, Nick Saban came out and was like, "Oh, you know, they're going to pose some threats for us, and you know, they're going to, you know, they're a great team." And while I think Washington's a solid team, let's all be for real, they don't really pose that much of a threat uh, to no, Bama. No, no. So. But then we're going back to what you said earlier. You know, we're we're talking about the four best teams getting in versus what I was what I was just discussing. Where uh, I, I strongly believe Michigan would have been a much better matchup for for Alabama as opposed to, to Washington. So uh, it, that 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 doesn't that doesn't matter. You know, four best teams case closed. Doesn't matter how how good or bad of a matchup one may be versus the other. No. Um, so, unless you got anything else uh, f- 
for the folks, man. I think this wraps up episode two. I think episode two can be in the books. And speaking of the number two, I do want to point out that the New York Yankees will be retiring Derek Peters' number. So meanwhile, the grass is green and the wall is blue. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in and listening. And uh, like I said, you can feel free to email us at, you know, runthepoint23 at gmail.com. Uh, find us on Facebook, Run the Point. You can uh, request to join the group that we're in. Feel free, everybody, call in, send us topics. You know, no topic is off limits. So uh, also, too, we're recording this Wednesday night. You guys need to tune in and watch this uh, Warriors-Clippers game because this is very, very chippy, uh, very early. So Chris Paul is not happy right now. <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, go check, go check that out. Yeah, nonetheless, uh, thanks everybody again for, for listening, and we hope to see you guys and hear from you guys next week. Don't, don't be shy. Give us a call. We're at.